Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording from May 8th called Challenging the Brigade System in Restaurants. How the impact of hierarchies from the brigade system in restaurants have perpetuated mental health issues from a toxic masculinity environment to an epidemic of sexual harassment, among other issues. Hope you enjoy. Uh, we're going to run about an hour on this room. Hope to keep it an hour for everybody's time. And uh, I want to give you just a, a kind of a quick run of show breakdown. We will uh, do hand raising a few times. So anybody in the audience who wants to participate and kind of give us some of their experience as well in this as we kind of want to talk about challenging the brigade system. Uh, I will uh, let you guys introduce yourselves, the moderators up on stage. Uh, quickly, and then we'll go through some kind of housekeeping items, break down the definition of the brigade system so we know what we're talking about, kind of some strengths and weaknesses, and then we'll break down some of the uh, trials and tribulations of this system, what we want to address, and opportunities we see for growth into the future uh, of this industry. So I want to go around to uh, you guys moderators maria greg kate heather uh, if you guys just want to give us a little breakdown of who you guys are kind of your background a little bit where you guys are uh, coming from and uh we'll get started there maria go ahead hey thanks so much this is really awesome to have this dialogue here um, i'm the founder of cooks who care a group based out of philly where we are really pushing the needle on creating happier and healthier workplaces involved in hospitality you know um it's been an amazing journey but this is such a good time to really make an effect on some change um, in addition to that I, i'm also a coach that does uh, leadership mastery and do some guided practices for training so this is a really interesting topic thanks for having me today thank you greg An unmute or microphone. Yeah, you sorry. Got it. I'm just trying to figure this thing out. Hi, I'm Greg Baker. Um, I was a chef uh, restaurateur for um, the better part of 35 years. Um, retired from the business about a year and a half ago. Um, I've largely, I've been a very vocal advocate for um, if you'll excuse my language, uh, unfucking the system that, um, you know, I, I kind of helped propagate in my early years and, um, you know, working towards, you know, getting to be a, a more just equitable system for people who work in hospitality in general and kitchens in, in particular, uh, published a couple of articles, been in a few videos, uh, about the topic and well, here we are. We got a we got a lot of work to do, Greg. That's for sure. Heather, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, uh, hey. Um, 
So I have almost 30 years of experience working in food and beverage, um, New York, Hawaii, Kauai, Florida, Chicago, very different atmospheres for uh, restaurant employees. I've worked mostly front of house, um, some back of house, uh, specializing in wine and spirits is kind of my thing. Um, Work for three James Beard awarded chef-owned restaurants. And I've been super lucky, been very fortunate to have the experience of working on some stellar teams um, and some genuinely positive environments. So I know that this industry has the potential to be good to its employees, but I've been lucky and so many of um, our industry has not been. So um, I'd like to see the direction change and um, give others the experience and the opportunity that I've had, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. Kate, tell us a little about yourself. Hey, uh, thank you again for having me. This is awesome. Uh, and in all the good restaurant experiences out there, I feel like I've just gone through every terrible iteration of, you know, working under toxic people. Uh, so I am Kate Holacek. I am the owner and executive chef and uh, sole proprietor of Lionheart Confections. It's a pastry pop-up that was born during the pandemic. Uh, I kind of knew, you know, that as soon as the pandemic started, that there was a target on my back and that, you know, pastry chefs would get the ax. Uh, so I had to figure out what the next step was. And I knew that, you know, I wanted to, you know, start my own project and I just didn't realize how soon. Uh, but this was also, you know, passion project born out of the fact that I just am so tired of working for toxic people. I just don't have space for it anymore. So, uh, this is going to be, you know, uh, as I said, a passion project that I hope that I'm going to be able to, you know, advocate for, and I always have been, uh, in the Boston restaurant scene is, uh, advocating for fair treatment of staff, um, you know, fair pay, all those kind of important things, just to make sure that, you know, a lot of the younger chefs that are coming up will not have to deal with what I had to deal with. Yeah, respect. We have to build build something new. And as, as Greg kind of said, you know, we've all played some role in, in what we have today. And so I really appreciate everybody uh, hopping on. Mimi, let's get you in the in the combo here. Mimi, good to see you. Hello, Chef Jensen. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for being here. Give us a Hi. quick intro. Let us know who we're, who we're going to be hearing Chef from. I'm Chef Milan, and I specialize. You need to figure lost you yes there? uh i'm at a location i'm not sure of the um of the internet can you hear me yeah we can hear you go go ahead we'll see if you don't break up too much if you do we'll uh we'll circle back to you and let your robots reset oh, maybe not yeah, Mimi, you probably have to find a better uh, internet connection me? somewhere. We'll circle Hello? back to you at some point, all right? Hello? Can you hear me? 
All right, let's keep let's keep rolling. We'll come back to Mimi here in a little bit. You can never trust these damn robots. Uh, all right, so uh, the brigade system. I wanted to start out by defining the brigade system so we know exactly what we're talking about. The brigade system was started by acclaimed French chef Auguste Escoffier in the late 1800s. Uh, the Ritz, the original Ritz, uh, Cesar Ritz place in, uh, in Paris. And it was very much based off of Escoffier's experience in the military, in the Franco-Prussian War. And so to give a little bit of context, we've got to understand what, was, what a restaurant was like back in those days. There weren't restaurants the way that we think of it. The a la carte menu was nearly non-existent at that point. You either had somebody who slopped together a pot of XYZ and threw it up on a counter at a restaurant, at a bar, at a pub, and people would serve themselves. You might have a place that had one or two items that you could order and they would produce for you. Or there could be meal time at a certain time of day. You could order food, purchase food, and have that food cooked because they were cooking all at once in batches. Then when the a la carte menu started to come about and pop up in some places, what would happen, there'd be one or two people in the kitchen and you could order from the three or four items on the menu. And that one person, would cook each of those items as they were ordered. And if another ticket came in, the other cook would cook the entire ticket. So the idea of breaking it down into positions, into stations was what Escoffier really uh, cultivated. And it also had this hierarchy, which was at the forefront of it. It was very much, we chef, a la sir, yes, sir, in the military. So there was this very rigid command structure that was created, right? There was strength in the fact that it was very organized. It was very highly productive. It was very focused, skill set focused, and it really turned individuals in the kitchens into a soldier or a robot, their ability to execute one element, a handful of elements again and again and again with consistency. Now, with that, what we've seen played out is that in the process of turning people into robots, you take away some of their humanity. So you've seen that play out where there's just a lot of toxicity that feeds into that. Now, some people, for me, when I was young, I was a punk-ass kid. I needed some structure. So the structure of it was valuable, yet it also fed a lot of my demons so we're going to talk about that a little bit. So I wanted to make sure we understood kind of what the brigade system had been and, uh, and the opportunity for us to then kind of evolve that. So thinking about that uh, through this process, and uh, it really feeds into what we do at Best Served. You know, our mission is to amplify the worth and work of people who feed their community, envision uh, an industry where millions of people that today and in future generations work in this industry are acknowledged for who they are and how they choose to contribute and to share who they are through food, beverage, hospitality. And I want all of their stories to be shared. So, you know, little rooms like this are a way to, for us to start that type of conversation because I think it's immensely important. Uh, all right. So I want to uh, give each of the uh, panelists, each of you guys, just a, a couple minutes to kind of break down for you. What's your hot take, the highest level? When you think about the brigade system, you know, what's your, what's your emotional or visceral reaction to that? Uh, and then I want to talk about some specific issues that have come up uh, again and again as maybe core issues that we can address 
And then from there, talk about, you know, if there's possible solutions, if we think that there's different ways that we can organize ourselves within a kitchen. So I'm going to go back around the table here. Uh, Maria, hot take, big thinking. What What's yep. uh, the brigade system kind of mean to you? Well, you know, I think, you know, when I first learned it, it was like, respect this. This is how you do it. You know, you learned that this was the system that was, is, and will always be. And, um, you know, after going through it, you know, I've worked in hotels, restaurants, country clubs, pizza shops, coffee shops, ice cream shops. It doesn't matter wherever you've worked. You know, there is a system at play, whether visible or invisible. I think my biggest concern about many of the places I've ever worked over a period of my career is the lack of training. You know, I, I so desperately as an eager cook wanted someone to show me. Now, I was very fortunate that I found, actually, I shouldn't say it, that's fortunate. I was actually working in restaurants, uh, finding it hard to find anybody that wanted to train me or move me up. You start in pantry, you work a salad station, garmage, and you earn your way to get to the line. Very few places would let me do it if there was a lot of guys working there. Um, I ended up having to leave some spots going, this can't always be. Like, I'm willing to put the time in and I'm willing to commit myself you know, to this industry. And I still am, but I struggled very early on to realize, well, if you move to hotels and, um, and different facilities, you get more opportunities to move up. So the fortunate part is I found an apprenticeship program through the ACF at a country club where I committed two years. I worked and lived there. Um, my concern with training as being an educator and even a coach even today um, is that how do you master and become a leader? You master a station. And then you move on to the next one. And my concern is, what does that have to do with leading people? Nothing. Right? I, I... Oh, Maria, you muted yourself. You were on fire, too. You are on a roll. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah, we got yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you really, you, you master a station, right? You don't master people. You move up because I learned the menu, I learned the items, I, I then go, okay, cool, now you can move on to the next station. And I, that's just really where my challenge has always been is that, you know, we need that understanding that there is a human-centric approach to things, and we do not have the tool set to provide that leadership going forward. I appreciate that. We're going to talk about training a lot, as for me, it's... It's the, the number one underlying issue as well. well. We'll get into kind of the makeup of that. Greg, for you, top of mind, what's uh, your focus when we're thinking about the brigade system? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I came up uh, in, the, in the late 80s uh, when there was still a lot of relics of just tyrannical European chefs. Um, whose entire mission was very militaristic, which was to strip you of all sense of self and then build you back up in an image that they want, that they deemed uh, deemed appropriate to accomplish the mission. And in that, you know, as a front, viewing this from a from a military standpoint, um, you, know, if you're, <laughs> you know, foot soldiers are like pawns on the chessboard. You know, they're totally expendable. So if you're not there, then they're just going to replace replace you with the next person who comes through the door. Not not a not a problem. You you either you either go along or you don't. Um, 
Maria just brought up so many huge points that, <laughs> that need to be addressed. Um, we are, uh, you know, on a whole, this industry is probably one of the most diverse that exists in, um, in, in this country. Um, it is, it's diverse, but is it equitable or is it inclusive? Um, you know, do people, are people getting the, the tools that they need to be able to advance, to be able to grow, um, simply because you are the best at the job that you do. Um, uh, okay. You know, well, you move widgets, um, you know, you're the best widget mover that we've got. Does that mean that you're capable of leading more widget movers? No, no. You only learn what you've know. only learn what you've, what has been demonstrated to you. So it's, we've been working in this self-propagating thing of, okay, well, you know, you're, you're the best cook in the kitchen. So now you're a leader. You don't know, you don't know a damn thing about leading. <laughs> and usually that results into what you've seen before, which is people being frustrated and yelling at everybody. And that's not leadership. And, you know, we need to not only teach, come to a point of being able to train people and teach people and be the best that they possibly can be at the, at moving widgets, but we also need to be able to advocate for people and teach them how to, how to be leaders, how to, how to grow people, you know, how to pick people up rather than put them down and, um, you know, and be there and be present and advocate for the people that are really qualified, have the, have the emotional maturity, have the ability to be great at what they do and, you know, bring them bring them along instead of just continuing to cut them down because it's not in the shape or form that we have desired and you know i've been guilty of that you know i i will i will, I will own up to it 100 percent. in the past i have been 100 percent toxic boss um all i can do is say that i've been working really hard ever since to try not to be um, we all have a lot of long way to go in that. And, you know, um, you know, hopefully if we try harder then the next generation will be so much better than us. Greg, really appreciate that. Yeah. Same here. I've definitely fed that monster time and time again, and, and we'll get into that more as we kind of break down the different subsets of the issues at hand. You mentioned specifically like, you know, we, we kind of churn through people so fast that the attrition rate for being, I was 24 when I became an executive chef. I thought it was because I was hot shit. Turns out it was because I was just the only one left standing uh, at, at the end of the day, so to speak. So I appreciate that for sure. Heather, for you, hot take. What's top of mind for you? What are you thinking about at the highest level when you're thinking about the brigade system? Um, I think about the masculinity in the kitchen um, and how that has um, has prevented a lot of uh, women, um, females, from moving up. I've seen so many kitchens um, where um, the women are kind of just, you know, kind of left out a little bit. It's like a boys' club, and um, and that that exclusion, you know, it it matters and um and and they don't last and we lose really great talent um because they're not they're not men and um you know front of house is a lot different that's 
you know, where I'm, where my experience is, but working in kitchens, I've seen a lot of women over the years, great, great talent, um, you know, leave, you know, because, because they don't crack the same jokes because they don't puff out their chests because they're gentler and, um, and the loudest isn't necessarily the baddest or the greatest, you know? So that's kind of what I, my take on um, the brigade system is that it's masculine and, um, and that's excluded a lot of women from moving up in the industry. Yeah, Heather, that's so inherent when you try and pretend like you're this uh, elite military unit, all of a sudden that bravado becomes a necessity, necessi excuse me, a necessary tool to oppress others to feel more powerful. Uh, I mean, it's, it's built into it. And so I appreciate you highlighting that. Kate, for you, what's, uh, what's your thoughts, brigade system at the highest level? So it's interesting because I can uh, piggyback of what um, Heather was saying, but also um, completely different from you and Greg is that instead of like, you know, uh, feeding that anger and having that, like that be my, my reactionary is mine's the opposite. And I definitely think it's, you know, cause I've, you know, been a female going through kitchens is mine's always been anxiety ridden. You know, I, I grew up in a Southern family. Uh, my dad was a senior chief in the Navy. So he kind of bestowed the fear of God in me as a child. So you don't step out of line. And, you know, I kind of always knew that you want to, whatever job you get, and I started in kitchens while I was in school, and, you know, you, it's yes sir, no ma'am, you work your hardest, and you do your best, and there were just, like, it, it was just me approaching this, especially being, you know, 18 years old, and looking at this with innocence, and being like, you know, I'm doing my best, and I'm working my hardest, and you just have these people that are just completely unleashed, and like, you know, there's something deeply rooted there, but at the time that you're like, oh my God, I fucked up my, what did I do? And then you just, you know, let it kind of unravel you. So it's always kind of been that for me. And, uh, you know, it's gone through entire kitchens where these same men that are doing this as I'm moving up the ranks and still working as hard as I can, because I'm, you know, tenacious and I'm going to keep going at it is that, you know, people, I look for guidance, you know, a sous chef, or if I take over as executive pastry chef, uh, you know, a restaurant, you know, I look to my executive chef and I look to my culinary director for guidance. And the thing is, no one was taught how to lead. They just expect you to know how to do it. So I'm just sitting there with all this anxiety, freaking out because I don't want to make their mistakes of yelling at people because I don't want to make people ever feel that way yet I have no idea of how to lead people so it's definitely been an interesting um you know learning curve for me yeah two things important you're talking about you know nobody becomes an investment banker when they're 15 16 17 years old so we have thrust into this industry at such a young age and I think there's going to be a few things to unpack there and then this like this fake it till you make it mentality because there's so much gripping fear anxiety to your point that we're constantly trying to not be the weakest link because we see that that weakest link gets so much pressure put on it and usually it's just pushed out the door and we don't want to be subject to that so i appreciate that mimi let's see if we got your robots in line uh let's see if your connection's good Mimi, you want to introduce yourself quick and then yeah give us kind of the high level thinking for you around the brigade system
Hi there. Can you hear me better now? You're good to go. All right. I'm so sorry. I'm in. I'm at an event, and the internet might be a little bit sketchy here. Um, first of all, I want to commend you, Chef Jensen, for bringing this issue to the surface because it's kind of controversial and uneasy for people to face, even if they're in the midst of it. And having heard the stories from other mods in the room, I commend you for all. I commend you all for being um, so real and raw. I think that as controversial as the issue, uh, and 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 even though uh, you know we might roughen up some feathers, but the people that we might help in um, speaking about this is worth the the you know the uneasiness of the topic. I'm Chef Mimi Lan, and I specialize in Vietnamese with global influences um, pop-up dinners. And since I do pop-up dinners, you know, I've worked with many chefs in many kitchens where I would spend uh, maybe four or five, four to, you know, three, four or five days with intense prep work prior to the dinner. Um, I was just a guest chef, so I was treated differently than if I was a staff in their kitchen. So I haven't been mistreated per se, but haven't heard many stories from other chefs and, you know, haven't researched and read on the operation of how the brigade system has been applied to the modern kitchen. Um, so I just, my viewpoint is this, first of all, I feel like it's not needed in today's world because, you know, some of the traditional roles within the brigade system um, has been made redundant due to the, uh, the, the, you know, the fact that um, technology replaced some of the, the, the work, like the butchers now um, who, who cut the meat and the fishmongers who supply the meat in the old days no longer apply as kitchens, um, use, you know, pre-prepared cuts, and uh, I mean, it's, it's an organized and efficient system, but the, the, the bottom of the hierarchy, you know, is, is what dis gets destroyed the most. Um, you know, people being mistreated for menial tasks like peeling potatoes and cutting onions and you know I mean I've been stodging for mission star restaurants and um, you know having to peel like huge sacks of 30 pounds of ginger in an hour you know that you know my my hands were all bruised afterwards you know stuff like that um, but you know it, it's the brigade system I think the the main issue is just it's just used to justify the verbal and the physical abuse that takes place in a high-pressure kitchen. And um, and it, it's worse with women, um, I've seen. So, um, you know, uh, the level of abuse that anyone faces walking into a commercial kitchen, it's, it's just, you know, it's no news, but it tends to become especially vicious when it's directed at female staff. And so, um, 
I think that it's really, you know, something needs to be done about it. Um, you know, most of the work really is not, the efficiency is really not from the brigade system, but it's from the mise en place, you know, the, from, from the, the order of the, the mise en place. And really the, the, the credit that was given to the brigade system was really should have been given to the women in the kitchen. It was their grandmother and their, their moms that really made it work. Uh, but you know, uh, it, it's the military that got the, the the credit for the efficiency of the kitchen. So, you know, um, you know that this whole thing has been transformed into all kinds of problems: the epidemic of sexual harassment and assault, and the mistreatment of women in the kitchen. You know, that's what I'm most concerned about. So um, I commend all of you for, you know, speaking the truth and it's not pleasant. And most of all, I really commend Jeff, Chef Jensen for, uh, you know, opening up this conversation. And I hope that something good will come out of this. I'm Chef Mimi and I'm done speaking. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mimi. I want to get right into... Uh, three of the areas that come up the most. So the thing that I'm most apt to do in any situation is be the annoying kid in the front row saying, why, why, why? I just, I'm, I'm motivated and compelled by the question more than I am the answer. And so in the scenario with Best Served, what I spend a lot of my time doing is just asking questions in, on social media, especially of what's happening, what's people's actual experience. And so this topic has come up again and again and again and again and read through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people's comments and kind of tried to organize them from the patterns that I saw. And there were three recurring themes that I hear here once again that came up the most. And those three were training, exploitation, and toxicity. All right, I want to talk about those three things. And I want to actually, I think I want to actually like open it up. Let's just have an open discussion about these. I want to start with training. And training is an interesting thing where you're right off the bat brought up training. We're desperate for it, especially because so many of us get into this industry young. We're impressionable. We're vulnerable. We're wanting to be coached. We're looking to find our people, find our way. And so we're very trusting of whatever we walk into. And the training is interesting because if we're supposed to think of ourselves as going to war, we've all heard that when we're talking about a service, that we're going into battle together. Well, we have not gone through the training that somebody in the military has gone through. The immense amount of physical, emotional, mental training that you trust the person next to you with your life. We just throw ourselves in the fire again and again and again and say that we must be trained now because we survived this self-inflicted or brigade-inflicted abuse and because we're still standing, we must have been trained through fire. So that's kind of something I want to really, really be thinking about is the training. We have to have to invest in our most valuable asset, our people. And we're spending more time investing in, in food products, which obviously are important, yet those are just the vehicle. 
for empowering people to do what they do. So training, I want to touch on training and, and please jump in anybody, Maria, Greg, Heather, Mimi training. When we're thinking about training, let's dig into that a little bit deeper. What are the areas of training that are clearly vulnerable in this system? And what are some ways, some opportunities we have to bolster training within the restaurants? I'm, I'm happy to jump in here. You know, I, I love what you just mentioned and Greg also, you know, it, I think that we treat the industry like a survivor episode. We shouldn't be applauding the last one standing as a way of life and the way that we treat this as a career. I remember um, I actually went through traditional culinary training uh, for two years in upstate New York and sitting in an orientation to the industry, which was my first exposure at 17 years old, I was young starting college. They said, look to your left and look to your right, and you're not going to see these people here down the line as the introduction <laughs> to the industry. And so it really set an impression, but I thought, gosh, like to your point, I'm young. Oh, maybe this is just the way you do it. This is just how it goes. And then seeing it in every workplace I've ever been in as the way. Um, I think, you know, we've all been pressured to sacrifice our, our mental awareness to things, our physical capacities to the job by pushing ourselves far down the line. Our well-being has been sacrificed. Um, and we say that this is the necessary output for us to become productive in a kitchen setting, front of house or back of house. And so I think that, you know, yes, the pressure is there and there are modes to help us with that a little bit to say, you know, we need this quickly. Um, you know, Mimi's point about mise en place and having that ready and being able to do it. But the parts of the human centered training approach is that we're missing praise in the right places. We, we shouldn't be praising people, um, you know, for treating themselves in a specific way that can actually destroy their morale. If we're using fear um, in our interactions, controlling behaviors as a way of motivation, well then we need to learn what, how real motivation works. And it needs to be human centered. How does my brain respond to feedback? How do I get better like an athlete? How do I train you know, to make sure that I'm utilizing a motivation strategy that that person's gonna do better because they want to and they understand themselves and other people too. I understand learning behaviors. How does somebody learn something? And it's not because I'm scared to death that I don't want to fuck up. It's because I want to do my best and this is what I need to do in order to get better. And we do not have that understanding when it comes to our intellectual being of going, you know, if I treated my staff like the team I care about, I don't have to just move up. I can accelerate my own learning of mastery and it includes these soft skills that we suck at. We're not good at all. It's just talking to people, connecting with them. How's your day? How's your family? We're like, get to work. And if you didn't show up early to like clock in unpaid, by the way, I don't even want to hear about your weekend because that doesn't matter here, but I need you to sacrifice your entire life existence. And if you're not talking about this place, you're not, a, you're not considered an individual worthy of being in this industry. And I think that's where we got to change the entire conversation of what we normalize is being good. And we want you to be in this. And I'm going to show you how to do this. And I'm going to spend the time and invest myself into developing others.
Oh, I appreciate Maria. You're speaking truth there. We soft skills. We're in this people business, which is actually a relationship business. There's a difference. When we talk about the people business and the, the reality is we've just commoditized all these hard skills and have spent no time and effort figuring out how to bolster the attributes that are inherent in the people that we bring in and empowering them in that way. So I, I really appreciate that. We got to start hiring for attributes and training for skills. And we keep, we keep wondering why the, you know, the highest paid person on the team has the most skills and they're an asshole. Nobody wants to work with. Like we created that dynamic. So I appreciate that. Anybody else jump in specific about training. What else? Can I'll take that about with training. I'm sorry. Kate was here first. Kate was uh, here I just first. want to, <laughs> sorry. I just wanted to piggyback off that. Um, like those soft skills are so important. That's one thing I try to get into training because um, I always tell anybody that's in management, you know, understand that your action, you, you basically kind of know the result you're gonna get. So if you're passive aggressive, your line cook's gonna be a little pissy with you or, you know, not wanna do stuff or that task is not gonna get done. Or if you yell, either the kid's gonna break down and walk out or, you know, they're just going to get in their head and get depressed and like they're just going to go down that rabbit hole so that that has to be part of the training going forward that that's just the point i wanted to make yeah greg jump in please this is a good point kate uh, both kate and maria made really really good points um when i was a when i was a young cook um yeah the way that things would be handled if I was falling if I was falling behind in a rush was that you know some seven foot tall German guy would be screaming in my face um, <laughs> that's um, that's a, a way to learn how to you know just go full hulk on things and you know brutalize your brutalize your body and your psyche to be able to get through these things and you know i swore when i first got into a into a, my first chef role when i was uh, late mid 20s i guess that i was never going to be that person and i developed this thing called the wheel of motivators like i need to pick apart what it is that's going to be able to get this person to do what i need them to do and I need to appeal to a certain sense to be able to get them to do things, whether that's pride or whether it's threatening their money or but and all of these things were well, they were less directly offensive than screaming in somebody's face. We're completely dehumanizing, you know. <laughs> and you know, what what do I know? I'm twenty seven. I'm trying to I'm still trying to figure out the world myself. But um so I, you know, I, I, I've had the luxury of time uh, uh, over, over the course of decades to be able to like think back on the idea that, you know, I come from a family of educators. And one thing that I learned from them is that everybody learns in a different way. So you have to be able to understand exactly what is going to be the most the the most effective way to teach this particular person not the team as a whole because you have to break them down individually 
and because no two people are going to be are going to absorb things the same way and you know if you try to approach it like that you're just going to get frustrated and then end up being you know the person that you never wanted to be <laughs> and um so you have to like you have to understand the human that is in front of you versus the employee that is in front of you and um you know that's one of that's one of the pieces that that's really missing from this model is that there we don't as a, as a whole we don't regard the humans that are working for us we regard the team and the weak links on the team well maybe they'll get special special time special treatment get them to grow or maybe they'll just get beaten down and shown the door by you know by the people that they're working with um so what we really have to do is you know become much more human focused in in what we're doing and in our training models and being able to teach and everybody really wants to learn and a lot of people want to run before they can even walk um so you have to be able to gently take them from this point where they're trying to sprint and go no okay that's cool but I need you to understand this so that you can then apply this without stealing every bit of enthusiasm that they have for things. And is, is it an easy thing to be able to do? No. Is it a thing that is necessary? Yes. Is it a thing that we're trained to do? Absolutely not. So, um, you know, we have to, as chefs, as leaders, we have to, you know, take the time outside of just producing good food and spend the time to research, learn, talk to people, read, go to conferences and, you know, understand the differences between what we, what we know and, and where we want to be and how, and be able to plan our path and be able to get there. And I think that's about all I got. Yeah, Greg, I heard it said really well. I think it might have been uh, Ari, uh, co-founder of Not 9 to 5 Org, who we're working with this month for you know, Mental Health Awareness Month, that said uh, one of the big paradigms we have in our industry is uh, treat people as you'd want to be treated. And the reality is you need to treat people as they would want to be treated. And it's something that reflecting back now for me, I recognize it's, it's like it's ones and zeros. Every single time I've succeeded... It's because I recognized as a leader, it was my job, my responsibility to hold the space to empower other people, that it wasn't their responsibility to learn what I had to teach. It was my responsibility to learn how to teach them. And every single time that I have failed, it's because I took people for granted, thought that they were lucky to be here, that they just being in the presence of whatever we had created was somehow going to through osmosis, make them better. And the reality is if you don't meet people where they are, they will never get to where you want them to be. So I appreciate you highlighting that for sure. Uh, any other elements with training? I do want to potentially get a little bit practical with this uh, because we've all seen, you know, the scenario of show up, you're going to start your training. Hey, person X, you're training this person today with no idea that they were supposed to be training somebody. Training basically is follow me around and see enough shit get fucked up until you must know how to do everything. Wait, you've worked in a restaurant before? You must know how to use this POS system. You must know how to 
how to baste the fish. You must know all these things because you've worked in a restaurant before. So I wanted to get some practical potential things in specific to training that we can reimagine the way that we approach our training process. Anybody got any thoughts, any, uh, any experiences there that might lead to some practical applications of improving training process within restaurants? An actual training program might be a good start. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's pretty much that's it. That's where we're going to start. Right? I mean, as you said, you know, you're, you're going to follow this person around who came in after after their two days off and had no idea they were going to be training. They're sad to say, but you know, there's there's a good chance that they're hungover and just trying to get through the day, um, get ease into the work week, and all of a sudden they're saddled with. I'm supposed to teach you how to do this job, and nobody's ever taught me how to taught me how to teach you how to do this job. So, you know, we got we have to be able to train the trainers to just you know reuse that tired that tired trope. But you know, if if you're going to be in charge of training somebody, you need to we need to teach that person how to train somebody. I mean, also base level. Uh, let's start with communication because that always seems to be the problem. There's just always been such a huge breakdown in most um, kitchens. So one thing I'm a huge advocate for is just over communication. That includes people with stages, like sitting them down after like, how do you feel? What kind of questions do you have? Is there anything you feel uneasy about? Where can I be of help to you? Just communication in general, and that includes your staff or, you know, even like your, as, you know, as a pastry chef, I'll, you know, talk to my sous chef, like just communication across the board. Yeah, I just did a TikTok video like last week talking about the, the six follow-up questions we need to start asking in the interview process from the worker standpoint. And one of them was, can you break down your, your onboarding and training process for me? Because I know 90% of interviews, they're not going to have an answer to that. Show up and we'll figure shit out. And the fact that we're such, look, we're so good at certain times at counterpunching. We're really reactionary in the moment, allows us to ebb and flow, to react, to problem solve in the moment. And there's strength in that. Yet it means we're never thinking proactively. We don't have a long-term plan is the reality. We're so short-term instant gratification. So that's a question we need to ask. If you don't have a, a clear onboarding and training process, huge red flag. And that's the reality of, of most restaurants. Or then the flip side of that is there's such a, big giant training process that nobody actually ever follows. So it's a bunch of pieces of paper and training the trainers. We need to not be managing pieces of paper. We're leading people. So there's a big difference there. Uh, just anything else on training before we move into talking Absolutely. about uh, toxicity a little bit. Yeah. hundred percent on all of these things that need to be components of thought of more proactive instead of reactive we're good at, you know, solving emergency fires that pop up. But what happens if you planned, you know, ahead of time? Um, you know, I've been an educator at the Art Institute of Philadelphia for 10 years. I've worked at different college institutions, training nights and evenings uh, for non-traditional students in 11-week programs and had 20 people every turn. You know, okay, you're going to learn these things and these skill sets. Um, and even now today, being a coach uh, with one degree hospitality, um, you know, it's 
it's really about training the trainer. It's about giving them situational leadership situations. What happens when? How to solve it? If I have a new person on board that's learning a management station, they should have two months minimum with an agenda set that you're going to learn these skill sets and here's how I'm going to help you assess where you are now and where you need to be in a custom way. Every single person on planet Earth needs three things. They need autonomy to do their job. They need to feel purpose and meaning where they are. And they need the tools and skill sets to help them develop mastery. We expect mastery. We're like, you better have learned that somewhere else before you come here. I'm not going to teach you these things. But to your point earlier is if we actually hired for attitude, taught people the skill sets that we know we want them to have because that's the way we do things here. Knowledge will come thereafter and we'll be better for it. Love. That is, that's a good way to take us out, Maria, out of uh, training. It has to be foundational, fundamental. There's no more excuses for it. The excuse of we're too busy, we're understaffed, I don't have time. That is manifesting the reality of what we see playing out today in the industry. And we, we have to go back to the roots of how we got to this point and take responsibility and accountability and do something different. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And we do that better than anybody, better than any industry. So toxicity, we touched on this a little bit. A really important element of this, the this juvenile hazing that seems to somehow still be a part of our industry uh, is something that we're always trying to create these clicks within restaurant, front of house, back of house, morning crew, night crew. Like it, it just never has ever solved an issue, yet it made us feel superior to somebody who is supposed to be on the same team with the same mission. And so that toxicity plays out again and again and wanted to touch on that. So wanted to open up and uh, see what you guys thought about uh, toxicity. What are the specific things that we need to be addressing? What are some ways that we can that we can build into our core philosophies, into our procedures and protocols, the the ability to mitigate that, if not eradicate completely with toxicity? Kate, jump in. I'm, I was like licking my lips as you're like, I'm like, oh man, like got things to say. Um, you know, the biggest problem I've seen, especially like, I, I know it's different city to city, but uh, Boston for sure, is we've had these larger restaurant groups that have had this old brigade way of teaching things. And it's the, you know, kitchen of yellers and the hazing and the verbal abuse and the condescending to every cook. And, you know, it's an honor to be here and you're going to work for pennies and, you know, you got to earn your keep. And, you know, I'm seeing that I'm seeing these people now opening restaurants. And one of them most recently I worked for uh, James Beard Award nominated restaurant here. Uh, and just seeing that, you know, th these people keep talking about how they're not going to be like, you know, their uh, ultimate or like, you know, oh, it's going to be different. And just seeing them carry on those abusive habits. I f like watched it was probably a Tuesday night. Uh, we had a mildly busy evening. It wasn't crazy by any means, uh, but my chef is a hothead and I've seen him like lose his cool a few times, you know, get feisty and, you know, get downright mean, made a few servers cry. But I watched him and I heard the whole interaction of, you know, our sous chef who is, you know, yes, chef, yes, chef, you know, 
uh, putting uh, up pasta dishes because he's on the pasta station. And apparently he didn't put the uh, labneh yogurt correctly on one of the dishes. And I just see my chef bolt from the front line into the side door through the kitchen, grab my sous chef and throw him on the ground by his shoulders. And I was mortified. So I got to see this firsthand. It wasn't like, oh, you know, you just saw the tail end of something or he tripped. I'm like, it, it was the part of the night where I'm waiting for desserts to come in. So I was at full attention watching the tickets come in because I knew I could judge like when my pick would be. And just seeing this firsthand and like handling that. But the worst part about it, like other than like, I told my sous chef to go home. I was like, you know, nothing's going to get solved because John's going to come at you again. And if anything, he's going to hit you. So go home, let him cool down. I'm a manager. I can tell you to do that. But what horrified me the most is the aftermath where so many people didn't see what was wrong. Like I put in my notice shortly after and I was like, I can't stand for these practices. It's not okay to touch another human um, unless your life is in danger. And the kid was plating pasta. Your life was not in danger. So I do not understand where your behavior is coming from. And when I told my female CDC this, she just looked at me and goes, okay. So it's just crazy to see that this is still, and this is like last year. So it's not like, you know, this was like 10 years ago. It's like, it's still alive and well. It's like we, it's like you go from being the oppressed to the oppressor. Like that is somehow the natural progression in the industry that you took it for long enough. You could hack it. Now you have to subjugate other people to prove that they can hack it. And we spend so much time in that state of fear. That's straight up. Everybody is in a pure state of fear, the oppressed and the oppressor in that moment equally because of the intense way that we hold so tightly, white knuckle, everything that we do. And uh, that tough guy, tough gal mentality, just, it's just never, it's just never, it never helps us interpersonally. And honestly, it just doesn't pay dividends. It just does not. It always implodes. Always. It, the bill always comes due on that. So, Kate, I appreciate that. I know I've had a reaction to that because I've seen situations like that. I thought getting plate, a plate thrown in my head was a badge of honor. It was just, it's just fucking stupid. Well, I get to laugh now because, I mean, they're literally hiring for every position. And it's like they're crying about it. I'm like, dude, you're getting a reputation. People are going to talk. And also because of the pandemic, like, line cooks know their worth now. They know that, you know, they deserve to be treated like a human. They want to learn from these chefs that have all these credentials. But, you know, they also want to be treated like a person. I don't think that's too hard to ask. No, and Heather, I wanted wanted to hear from you. You know, we're talking a lot about the kitchens, but we project a lot of this negative, toxic energy to the front of house. It seems to be, you know, there's an interesting dynamic where guests are just nameless, faceless assholes that have weird requests and send back food, and then we always kill the messenger. Always kill the messenger yeah. in these scenarios. So, um, so first of all, let's call it what it is. It's assault, whether it's a plate or a fist or a push or whatever, it's assault. And, um, and I've seen, um, you know, I've seen a chef um, throw something at a server because the server kept on coming back to make the guest happy. Um, you know, for me, I've, I've never been, um, I've never had a plate thrown at me, but I was 25 when I was sexually assaulted by the executive chef of the restaurant I worked at. This was the 90s, and um, 
it was definitely a traumatic experience. And it took a lot for me to go to the owner. I didn't know him at all because he wasn't like hands on. But how the owner dealt with the issue eliminated the lasting trauma and um, served as an example to me of how employees should be treated despite the hierarchy and despite the autonomy and power of that executive chef. Um, In this situation, the chef was fired within three days. The owner followed through with having an attorney come in to train the staff on all aspects of sexual harassment down to telling off-color jokes or pinning up a centerfold in your locker. It was made clear to employees that any form of sexual harassment would not be tolerated. The owner kept the report confidential, asked me to seek counseling for my own benefit, followed up with that. And despite this gross experience with the chef, I was very lucky to have the leadership in place that valued me, that the right thing. Um, This was way before Me Too. This was in 1997 in Hawaii. And considering I was an hourly employee, I had um, gone up from hostess to cocktail server at this restaurant. The chef was the highest paid position. I was super lucky because um, had I not had that that leadership, I'm not sure what would have happened to me um, psychologically. And I'm not sure that, um, you know, for the next 20 years, I always use that as an example of how to proceed in these kind of situations. And when I see um, executive chefs feel like they can, you know, sexually harass female front of house or physically, um, you know, get physical with their male counterparts or their, their, um, their staff in the kitchen, it goes back to assault. It's assault. It's a crime. There's no place for it in any business. Doesn't matter, you know, if it's a restaurant, if, you know, an office, wherever. Heather, thank you for that. Sorry that you had to go through that. And I know that's an experience that so many have had in our industry. And the fact that it's almost normalized is just that is at the root of the issue. We have to give a shit about people. I mean, that is at the core of all of this. If it's about the food and the drinks, it, it has no meaning. It brings no value. You know, we're, I mentioned it, we're in the relationship business. No relationship was ever built by a product or a service. It's always been built by people. And there's certain things like a restaurant, like food that galvanize people, that bring them together, that create an opportunity for like-mindedness, for similar tastes. Yet it's still the people inside those four walls and those butts and seats that create that relationship. And that's what we'll always need to gravitate towards. And we forget that day in and day out, we forget that because of the immense pressure that we put on ourselves. So I really appreciate that. And like the policies that you were talking about where you were expecting to be, you know, the one who was persecuted in a situation like that. I've seen that play out a lot. Yet the business and the leadership actually supported you. And this is something that's so important to me. We have to build what we call workplaces worth working. We have to start to build foundational systems that empower as well as protect and create security for its people. And we've all seen the bullshit handbook. That's just a bunch of legalese that protects not the people, it protects the business. 
it's there to make sure that the business doesn't get sued, not that you don't get sexually harassed and assaulted, not that you don't get put in a position that is dehumanizing to you. That's not what those are about. And we have to shift that. We have to shift it to protecting and empowering people. So I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, toxicity. Uh, I want to be mindful of everybody's time. I didn't want to take a moment and touch on the exploitation before we wrap here. Uh, the exploitation, this, this idea that you're lucky to be here, I mentioned it, this, uh, I'm gonna have you stage for a day, multiple days, see if you're a good fit. I'm going to have you work at near poverty levels so that you can prove yourself, that you can earn your place in this, the, the pantheon this industry is just, it's been exposed. And that facade is being completely burned down. And the reality is we went from being the these like, slightly outcast where I never fit in. And I know a lot of people in this industry, we didn't quite fit in. We didn't want the nine to five job. We didn't want the cubicle. For me, the suit and tie, like that just wasn't me. We found our people and then we allowed ourselves to be abused again and again and self-inflicted often because that exploitation felt like it was finding your people. And both are true. You can find your people right? And you can have an organized system like a brigade system. Yet if it becomes dogma, where we don't question it, where we don't reevaluate it, where we don't evolve it, that's where I see the systemic issue that plays out again and again. So the exploitation, wanted to take a couple moments uh, to discuss that. Overworked, undervalued, underpaid, no benefits, like all of these things that are matter of fact for a true professional. And we wonder why people don't want to be a part of this industry anymore. I want to open up the floor to touch on that for a couple of minutes. Well, um, <laughs> this is an interesting one. Um, you know, I've, you know, since I've, I've been working in the consulting space since I retired from, from ownership and, you know, I used to have the, there was a point that I had the mindset of, you know, listen, motherfuckers, I got six James Beard nominations under my belt. You're lucky to be working for me. And, that is the most ridiculous mindset that anyone could possibly have. Um, and, you know, as I said, I've been, a, I've been a toxic boss and I've, you know, try, I've been working for years to try to be a better one. And, you know, I'm not at a position right now where I need to learn how to be a better cook to be able, you know, I made my reputation for being able to outweird anybody on the block. And that's not, that doesn't matter anymore. What, what matters is how to be a better business person, how to be a better boss, how to be a better leader. And um, I've put this question out to multiple people. It's like, so if you want to go into, say you went 60 grand into debt to go to school and then your prospects were to be able to work for say 12, $13 an hour as an entry level job, carrying that $60,000 worth of worth student loan debt with you, which means you're living in a basement or with mom and dad. And then, you know, within a couple of years, you might have the, have the ability to, I don't know, make 15, 16, if you're really good at moving widgets, uh, let alone being a leader. Um, and being subjected to, 
I, I just need you to work this day and this shift. And uh, I know the schedule came out on Sunday night and it starts on Monday, but you're responsible for this schedule. Um, you, you, you know, this is, you need to be here. You need to show up for this without any of your input. I don't really care. And then you, you know, what's your next step? Well, the only way to be able to make an actual living wage in the current the industry as it currently exists is to move up into management and then what do you trade off for a living wage your life you know our, our business models you know the traditional business model is built off of your salaried employees <laughs> do the work of two or three people um for not that much more you know, not much more money than you know, one individual person. So now we're just got, you know, this environment where you've, you're being led by people who can barely function because they're tired, they're burnt out. They have no, no ability to live their own life. They're, they've had to sell things to the, sell their lives to the, to the cause. And what is the cause? Well, it's a job. <laughs> it's nothing more than a job and other people in other industries get to enjoy the idea of I go to work I go home I'm left alone on my days off and my off time but no hey uh, did you order this last night oh yeah it's your day off sorry to bother you um, it's it's you know there's no bit of there's no bit of boundary that makes the job unobtrusive at that point in time. And, you know, the, the entire model is exploitive. Um, you need to work for me to, for free to prove your worth. Okay. Now I'm going to pay you submit, you know, just poverty wages. Well, you learn my way. And then, you know, now I'm going to, ex now I'm going to exploit you, uh, since you've been proven yourself to be you know the, the best widget mover um i own you and that whole thing is just broken and you know i've i've been toying with the idea of getting back into the business but you know i i told the, the people that that were talking to me that if we were going to be able to do this we were going to have to do it right and i sat down with a spreadsheet and like all right First rule, everybody makes a living wage. Second rule, managers top out at 45 hours. After that, you know, the economics play out as they do. And, and you know, it, it may not be as lucrative, but it is lucrative. And everybody gets to be treated like a human. Everybody gets to have, everybody gets to have value. Everybody gets to know when they're working and they can arrange childcare. Everybody knows that they're going to be left alone on their days off. It's really not that difficult, but that is how it's always been. And that's just all we know. So that's what we perpetuate. Number one thing that I can tell anybody who's operating, get a living wage calculator built into your system. We romanticize the past of when we made $7 an hour and lived with four people and, and we're lucky to put an egg into our top ramen to survive. We romanticize, even I struggle with that. Living wage calculator, we have to understand what the actual, what the actual cost of living is so that you understand how to put 
your people in a position where they're not in survival mode because they can never be as productive as committed if they're literally scared for their own survival. Appreciate that. Maria, I wanted to come to you for just a moment specifically because you mentioned, uh, you know, clocking, uh, coming in early, not clocking in. Something I've talked about quite a bit. Uh, we prey on our passions, our own passions and each other's passions so often. I'm, I'm interested in how you see that dynamic playing out. Uh, any shifts that you're looking to uh, to coach into the system? Yeah, you know, I, so many things got brought up here. And so thank you so much again uh, for pulling this together. Um, yeah, we, we say, hey, oh, you're excited to do extra work unpaid? Oh, that's how you get loyalty. That was said here today, right? Um, I think the whole staging system has been broken. I, I don't think it's right to ask somebody to come in to see if they're a good fit with our tribe, the people that we have here. You'll fit in if you work for free, spend at least eight hours today, maybe come in tomorrow, three days. I got to see if you could cook. I can't even really bring you on to this team yet until I really see it, feel it. Um, you know, I, I've never advocated for unpaid stage work, although I've done those positions before. Um, I used to be in charge of an apprenticeship program in our area, and I've gotten into arguments with chefs, not because I'm an angry person. Believe me, I'm a very positive person, but I just disagree with the fact that somebody could come to you and say, hey, I want a job. I think you're the team I want to work for. And you tell them, that's great, but... I'm not going to pay you for your interest. I don't want you to come here unless I can see for free that you have the same desire that meets my expectations. I think that's broken and backwards. Um, people should be paid their worth. Um, we're going through incredible financial instability and the system has been so fractured pre-pandemic. <laughs> that now we're really seeing our frailties of a system we never fixed, right? We, I love that we're having this conversation. You know, Cooks Who Care, the group I founded, actually pulled together 40 people to talk about some of the things you've even expressed as the identifying factors in all the groups you've listened to. Um, we've identified nine. And we said, these are the nine common problems that includes things that Heather spoke of. And thank you for speaking up about that. But an environment, in addition to the model, we talked about that, everyone kind of touched a little bit on it, is also the psychological safety. We can't even get that foundation right. We don't know how to set up psychological safety, which is a basic human need for individuals. Um, you know, I unfortunately have left two jobs because I was cornered you know, once in a walk-in, once in a hallway where no one was around, and I just quit. I didn't bring it up to anybody because I was like, who am I gonna talk to? You know, I think, Heather, that's a, a wonderful example, and I would love more places to, you know, not retaliate against somebody who brought it up. And I'm, I'm so thankful, not that that happened to you, but that there is someone who heard and did something about it. Um, I, I, you know, with the women working in the industry, we have an issue, you know, with gender and equity, and this even extends to people of color, um, you know, your identity. I mean, there, there's so many things, uh, but... We we are treating everything like it's a two ways, I should say. We're treating everything like, oh, it's 50-50. The way my life experiences are is the way everyone's life experiences are. That's part of the problem. We should acknowledge that women and people of color have more challenges, and we should actually be finding ways to remove those barriers as a person who is knowledgeable and aware. 
And um, that may mean changing your schedules a little bit or adjusting so that somebody who takes the bus might have to start a little bit later. Um, and accommodating for that by also placing those things on job position ads and saying, I'm going to figure out how you can get here today. Right. And if your train comes in at a specific time, I'm not going to say, well, that person, it's not fair to everybody else on the team who shows up here on time and just go, that is the way <laughs> the economic factors at play of where you live actually prevent you from being here because you don't own a vehicle. Right. We treat everybody like we're all playing the same field and we're not. So I, I think in this exploitation, you know, I know Chef Jenny Dorsey, founder of ATAO, you know, has done a lot of things on these power systems, you know, talking about, you know, where we're not paying people their worth, you know, we have power over someone else's um, success, right? Uh, and, and so we really need to look at that and think about new ways, invent them, start it who cares if it doesn't work anything would be better than what we're doing right now and i i think we just need to start well it starts in rooms like this i appreciate that maria and we got a lot we got a lot more to talk about which is why we got you doing so many things this month and so we're grateful for for you and cooks who care for contributing so much to the conversation and not just the conversation but the action that we can take and to your point we have to shift our mindset. We have to get out of this rut of, again, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Uh, Heather Kate wanted to make sure if uh, you had anything to add specifically to exploitation before we uh, wrap this room in the next couple of minutes. Um, no, I think it's it's been really well said. Um, thank you so much um, to all the speakers that, that put in their input. Thank you, Jensen. Aloha. <laughs> Thanks, Heather. Kate, anything from you? Otherwise, we're going to put a pin in this one. Many more conversations to happen with this group, with other groups. Next week, we're talking how to prevent overworking and uh, burnout, something we all know so well. So we're going to really dive into that uh, subject. And I think what you're going to see is there's just a commonality. Maria mentioned the nine threads that kind of we're going to have to continue to pull on and pull on and, uh, and shift if we have any opportunity. So that will be a happening and uh, yeah, for uh, anybody listening on the podcast, uh, definitely join us here on Clubhouse as you can actually be a part of these conversations. And uh, again, this episode will be up on the podcast on uh, this upcoming Tuesday at uh, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, they're called BSC. And I think it's number eight, and it'll be challenging the brigade system. So, uh, yeah, it's an important conversation we'll continue to have. So thanks, Maria, Greg, Heather, Kate. Uh, Mimi's robots weren't behaving, but thanks to Mimi as well. And uh, amazing conversation, so much work to do. I, I'm inspired, I'm devastated, and uh, I'm ready to put in more work. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.